iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon and welcome to the Apple Store Soho once again for another exciting filmmaker talk here at our store. All throughout the Tribeca Film Festival, Apple and IndieWire have partnered up to bring you an exciting program of Meet the Filmmaker talks. Uh, you can, if you missed any of them, visit the store's uh, website at apple.com slash soho. Uh, there's a link to the Tribeca Film Festival schedule that we've been hosting. And from that page, there's a link to podcasts that you can download on iTunes from any one of the filmmaker talks this past week. Uh, many exciting ones with Spike Lee, Natalie Portman, Eric Bana, and many more. Uh, visit iTunes and search for Tribeca Film Festival, where you can find events from years past, or search for Meet the Filmmaker for the most current, up-to-date events that have happened here at the store. Um, IndieWire.com is the most comprehensive website for independent film, and we encourage you to check it out. IndieWire and Apple uh, will continue to bring you Meet the Filmmaker talks throughout the year, uh, and they've provided great coverage of the festival uh, all throughout this past week. Uh, today we're very pleased to be bringing you some of the student filmmakers who are screening work at this year's Tribeca Film Festival and moderating a, a discussion with these young filmmakers is Justin Wilkes. Uh, at this time, please join me in welcoming our moderator and our special guests, Justin Wilkes, uh, Alex Jablonski, Sergio Carvajal, Lisa M. Perry, Anna McGrath, and Benjamin Keegan. Well, uh, welcome everybody. Thank you for, uh, for coming out here on this uh, gorgeous New York day. Um, first of all, thanks to Apple for continuing to host this series this whole week. I know they've had some great people come through here and it's really a nice opportunity to get to hear directly from the filmmakers and, and people who are out in the field actually producing a lot of the films both at the, uh, the festival this past week but apparently these go on throughout the year and they've got some great, uh, great guests. And thanks to the filmmakers for for coming down today. Why don't we just go down the line and, uh, and everyone can introduce themselves and maybe uh, say your name and the name of the film that you did. Sure. Um, my name's Anna McGrath. I'm from Australia and my short film is called Small Change, which I wrote and directed in 2007. Uh, my name is Lisa Perry and I directed a short film called Search and I'm from New York and attend Columbia University. And my name is Alex Jablonski. I uh, directed and wrote the adaptation uh, for the film Blue Boy and I went to UCLA in Los Angeles. Hey, my name is Sergio Carvajal, and um, I'm from Venezuela. I live in Austin, Texas, and um, I directed uh, and wrote Cal Express. Uh, my name is Ben Keegan. I go to Whitman College in Walla Walla, Washington, and um, I directed the short documentary film Team Taliban. Great. Well, uh, welcome again, everybody. Uh, I work at a company called Radical Media. We're a uh, global entertainment production company. Uh, we do everything from non-scripted uh, television shows like Iconoclast on the Sundance Channel, feature films, feature documentaries, uh, The Fog of War, which uh, won an Academy Award a few years ago, uh, and then a lot of uh, actually commercial work. And it's always interesting because when we've got new filmmakers either coming in to present a project to us or just people who we've, we scout both for our, our uh, long form entertainment or for our short form stuff, a lot of times people walk in with short films. And it's such an interesting medium, I think, uh, similar to writing a great short story. And if you have heard, I think it was uh, you know, Hemingway and Fitzgerald had always said, you know, the short story was probably one of the hardest formats to be able to crack successfully. Uh, in some ways even harder than writing a novel or perhaps even a feature film because there's so much information that you want to try to pack in. There's so much character development that has to take place. I'm always, uh, I always just love watching short films. So I had the pleasure of watching all of your films on my flight back from Los Angeles <laughs> last night. <laughs> so it was very, very entertaining. I'll start with you, Anna, just because you're on the end. Um, maybe you want to talk a little bit about the story of your film, and then, then we'll show a clip. Um, but I, I, I just loved the film. I thought that the, uh, the girl in it, the young, the young girl, was just absolutely adorable. Um, and it's just such a sweet story. So maybe just tell everyone a little bit about what the film's about. Sure. Um, my film's actually a very short shot. Uh, it's only seven and a half minutes long. So when people ask me to tell them about it, I sort of hesitate, because I think I'll probably talk longer than seven and a half minutes. You could watch the film in that time. But um, it is basically a family drama, <coughs> what's known as uh, kitchen sink drama. There literally is a scene in it um, at a kitchen sink. Uh, but it's a story of um, a family where a wife and mother has left 
and it's basically a story of the father and three children dealing with the absence of a mother and wife. And uh, the story, I guess, sort of kicks off when the little girl protagonist in the film, uh, her character's name is Sophie, um, loses a tooth. And uh, basically, uh, you know, the expectation of the tooth fairy arriving um, and what sort of what happens when the tooth fairy forgets. Um, but I guess the big thing that I really wanted to show in this film is a moment in a child's life when they recognise the vulnerability of their parent and actually there can be a bit of a role reversal of a child stepping in and doing something to help their parent when normally it would be the other way around. So it's trying to explore a moment where a child does that, so yeah. So uh, what was it like directing children? Um, lots of fun, very exhausting. Uh, being a student film, um, there there aren't necessarily the obligations that you might find on a professional shoot. So uh, legally, you know, you're only allowed to shoot with children of certain age for a certain amount of hours, and you're also meant to have guardians on set and all that sort of thing. These Minnie and Ziggy Liskovitz, who are real brother and sister in real life, uh, mother is a friend of mine, and when I rang her up and asked her if I could. I'd chosen her two children to be in the film. I said, look, you know, uh, Minnie, who was six, I said, look, six-year-olds are legally only meant to be on set working for six hours, but, you know, because my shoot's only three, three days, uh, there might be occasions where Minnie will be on set a little longer. And she said, you can have her a whole day. I don't care. She's out of my hair. Both the kids will be out of my hair if they're on set with you. And I said, oh, okay, well, the other thing is that, you know, would you like to be there during the shoot? And she said, no, it gives me three days off. What do you, you know, so I was, there are reasons why there are those obligations. And that is um, that, you know, children get tired um, and they also require attention, a lot of attention when they're also not in front of the camera. So the first day I found myself um, entertaining Minnie um, particularly Minnie, a lot in between scenes and you know doing things like giving her piggyback rides up and down a park and by the end of the day I just was absolutely exhausted so I had to call in some reinforcements for day two, day three because I realised I was just expending all my energy not only directing the children but keeping them entertained between, um, between shots. Um, but they're, they're both gorgeous. Neither of them had ever acted before, and I think that was actually really great because they had no expectations um, and were, I think, both quite natural. They're very natural performances rather than some of the children that I saw who were in drama schools and stuff really, you know, turned on acting as opposed to just being. Um, but uh, Minnie in particular was quite funny because she was six and she has quite a short attention span and. There were times when she had to do quite long shots and I would sort of show her what she was she had to do and walk it through with her and then talk about how her character would be feeling in this situation. But um, I found that I had to ask the, the cast, uh, the crew to be, you know, very, very quiet because if someone sneezed or said something just before we were about to shoot, she'd be, you know, running off and giggling and playing and, you know, it was very... Um, important for me to keep her quiet and calm and in the moment. But there was one time where I took her through this whole scene and I said, okay, you turn on the tap here and you put the glass here and you do that. And I think this was probably day three and she was sick of the sound of my voice and she just, she, and the whole crew were deadly quiet on my request, you know, and she just turned around and she said, Anna, just call action. <laughs> just, just shut up, shut, shut up, let's just go for it. I'm like, okay, fine. So yeah, it was really good fun, really good fun. You created like the next high maintenance actress now coming out of Australia. <laughs> Thank you for that. But it's interesting to, because I thought that there was a real um, maturity actually between the brother and sister. And I noticed in the credits that they were siblings. Uh, and the fact that the brother, both in the story, but I'm assuming in real life too, was so protective over her and sort of really took on that role of, of being both her brother and that he could tease her at the, uh, the breakfast table, but also when it came time to actually 
almost stepping in for the role of the father, yeah. um, it, it, the moment totally paid off. Yeah, and I think also that, again, had a bit to do with the fact that they didn't have a guardian on set. <laughs> they had sort of had to look after each other. I mean, I was, I'm, you know, they, they, they became great friends with the crew and, you know, everyone really looked after them. And particularly Ditch, who plays the father in the film, he and Ziggy, the little boy, would go out and throw a ball around in the park, you know, at lunchtime. And, you know, part of that was obviously developing their father-son relationship that, you know, shows in the film. But it was also everyone being, you know, because there wasn't an official guardian, everyone really, you know, had fun with the kids as mm -hmm. well, you know, during the shoots. So. And what format did you shoot that on? Uh, it was shot on um, Super 16 with an art on camera, but it was finished on... Um, SB Beta, which is just the process that my school takes. So mm -hmm. it's a bit of a shame to shoot on something that you know could have been really, really beautiful, and then downgraded a bit. But I, I think it still looks really beautiful, mm -hmm. color-wise, and you know. Did anybody else shoot on film for the film? You did as well. Yeah, I did. Do you want to just uh, maybe to talk a little bit about about what your film's about? Yeah, my film is called uh, Blue Boy, and it's an adaptation of a short story by the writer Kevin Canty. Um, who, uh, it's from a short story collection called A Stranger in This World. And it's the story of this um, young lifeguard who spends every morning getting really, really stoned and fantasizing about the women around the swimming pool at this wealthy country club that he uh, lifeguards at. And um, this one day that we're following him, there's this kind of traumatic incident where a boy almost drowns on his watch and through the rescue, he comes uh, very close to this this woman that he's been fantasizing about for, we understand, weeks or months. So it, it seems there's this uh, reoccurring, whether it's a, a Mrs. Jordan or a Mrs. Robinson or the young kid always obsessing over the, the, you know, the older woman is a definitely a reoccurring theme in, in film and in literature. It's interesting that you didn't uh, choose to, to write the film. You actually adapted it. What was it about the subject matter um, that led you to that? Uh, I actually came to this story because I'd written a script. This is my thesis film for UCLA. And I'd, I'd written a script that involved uh, a forest fire, um, a bar fight, like all these locations. And I realized I didn't have the money or the means to, to make it. And I wasn't that happy with it. So I threw it away and I was in the process of trying to, to write another script and I thought, you know, if I'm going to write a great short script, I should really get in my bones the way the rhythms of a great short story. So uh, I, and I, I'd studied English Lit in, in undergrad and, and had read a lot of short stories and so I just bought this book that Richard Ford, who wrote, you know, The Sports Writer and Independence Day, had compiled of the best 50 American short stories of the last 50 years. And I was just trying to get the rhythms of what a good short story feels like. And then I came across this story and just loved it and just thought it was perfect and um, adapted it first and then set about getting the rights to, to do the story. So you actually did pursue the rights to be able to, to shoot it as a short oh, film? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, it was funny. I wrote a uh, long, impassioned email to the author who lives in Missoula, Montana, and told him about how much I loved his story, about how, how touching I was, about how uh, touching it was. I thought, you know, it was just beautiful. And I didn't hear from him for three weeks. I wrote him again, and then he just said, talk to my agent. And, you know, so I went about it that way. Um, but they were, they were great and um, helped us get the rights and are very happy with it. It's cool. You know, it's interesting. All of your films are similar, uh, and even the doc, because they really do focus on relationships between one or one or two characters and in the case of the doc which we'll, which we'll get to in a second too it's obviously a portraiture of this particular character but his relationship to the immediate people around him um and it, i just commend all of you guys for doing that because i think it's as as any filmmaker young or old experienced or not to really crack the relationships and and to be able to direct actors in that level of intimacy uh and same thing with the story about the uh, the, the, the brothers um, in a sort of supercharged scenario. Uh, it's just great to sort of see that play out on film. You know, Lisa, your film, I, I have to say, you had me all the way up until the reveal at the end. Uh, and what I loved about it was I could completely relate to the boy character. I'll let you explain what the film's about. Maybe that we'll start off with that. Um, okay. Um, <clears throat> the yeah. film is about two uh, high school students who uh, ditch class and sort of find this 
um, dark utopia where they end up um, sort of basically messing with each other and, and the female uses her sexuality to manipulate him and he becomes very frustrated and uh, ultimately becomes quite aggressive to her but controls himself and, and storms out of this area, which you'll see in the clip where she had been teasing him. And I think the part you're talking about is um, they, as he storms out, he is, comes across a, uh, the body of a dead woman and is, uh, realizes that he is not very, uh, he's disturbed by it, but he's not afraid of it, whereas Jameson, the female, is afraid of it. He realizes now he's got the upper hand, and so he starts to basically undress the dead body with a stick because it's making Jameson really uncomfortable, and it's, it, this is like his, you know, retaliation. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very, it's very different than the rest of the film. It, like, takes, like, a 90-degree turn there, and in my mind, it's always been more of a... Um, it's sort of the film becomes a little bit unrealistic there and, and more of, like, of a metaphor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think <laughs> that reminded me of like every girl I knew in junior high school. <laughs> like, I'm sorry to hear that. No, no, <laughs> um, yeah, but again, it was like a very, very powerful relationship between these two characters and just that, that frustration, especially as a, as a guy I could relate to, of the girl always being so much more mature than me, so much more in control of the situation. I think you captured that quite beautifully. Uh, what was the inspiration? You, you wrote this as well? I didn't. Oh, you didn't no. write this? No, um, this is, uh, there's something in your first year at Columbia called Swap, where everyone writes a short script and everyone directs one and you swap. So it's sort of this, you put everything online, it's this free-for-all and you do what you can to get the script that you want. And uh, this is written by Aaron Walker. And um, it was quite different when I first uh, got it. We workshopped it together. Um, at one point, it had a car in it that exploded that the body was in. And uh, like you, I decided <laughs> production-wise, as a first-year student film, it wasn't going to be possible. You know, it's uh, good to hear that that kind of collaboration is happening at schools. I went to NYU, and I, I think what I was always particularly frustrated about um, with the program, at least when I was there, was that they kept the directors in one program, the writers in another program, the actors in another program, and the producers in, in yet another program. And it was only until sort of your, your end of the year thesis when only if you wanted to, you would go and try to collaborate with, with the other groups. And it's just the exact opposite of how filmmaking mm -hmm. actually happens. I can't think of any scenario in any project I've ever worked on where you don't collaborate with someone on, on, on an intimate level. Um, and it's good to be able to develop that skill set. And same thing even with adapting material too. Uh, so often you, know, you find that, that filmmakers, especially in school and myself included, you want to make your own stories because that's what you, know, you have in your head and you want to get out there. But I think it's a real challenge to be able to take something else and then be able to put your, your spin on it. So it's great that, that you guys are doing it. Sergio, I want to go to you next. So y you have, a, again, a very interesting film, uh, probably one of the hardest moments, I'd imagine, uh, between two siblings to actually have to, to con confront one another. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about what, what the film's about. Um. Well, you see, I mean, uh, the film can be seen through like, different ways, you know, I mean, um, uh, to me, it's about uh, one guy uh, that just sort of feels that uh, he has been cheated uh, on life, you know, somehow. He's just like, he deserves more than what he's getting, you know, so it's, uh, it's sort of, uh, you get 10 minutes of his life, and that's uh, why it's called sort of a Cal Express, it's just kind of like, you know, the, he's an express sort of, uh, you know, a train or whatever you want to call it, I mean, so... Um, now then, th there's also the other part of it, which is like his relationship with, with the brother and the brother relationship and whatnot, you know? And, uh, and then, and obviously, I mean, there's like this big secret that comes up, you know, and um, in the film and, you know, the, and actually the, the, the brother turns out to be gay and he didn't know and, and, and so there's this big reveal and, but I don't think that really is what, you know, what the film in, in particular is, is, is what's, you know, it's, it's just one of the, the parts of it, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it, it is definitely about like, um, it definitely took me back to like, you know, to the times of like, you know, like interacting with my brothers and, and kind of uh, growing up and whatnot, you know, and how that uh, interaction with brothers sort of uh, just shapes you somehow. You know, so, yeah. so talk a little about the inspiration for, for you to make this in the first place. It w was it derivative of the relationship that you had with your, with your siblings? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, I, I spent uh, my years in school making a lot of um, more sort of experimental kind of films. Um, I, I, I painted on 16-millimeter clear leader and 
a lot of uh, crazy editing and whatnot, you know. So, um, so the first inspiration was to sort of uh, make a narrative film, you know, which is like uh, where story is is everything, and where like editing is like just taken to like to a very, very, I mean, like minimum, you know. So um, it was a challenge of like let's just try to make something like that, you know what I mean? Then other than that, um, I knew these two brothers. Yeah. <laughs> There's um, my time is up. Yeah, you got you. <laughs> The wrong answer, uh, Sergio. I'm sorry. <laughs> wrong answer. I'm sorry. Um, they, um, there are two brothers I know, which are actually two brothers in the, in the film. They're actually two brothers in, the, in real life, and um, you can see in their—I mean, they're friends of mine. And you can see in their relationship. I, don't, I mean, uh, there are a couple of things that I saw in them, and that I saw in in, in you know thinking I haven't, I haven't you know it's actually funny because like uh, I'm from Venezuela, but I was in, in Colombia not, not too long ago, and it was the first time that I've been with, with all my brothers for the, for the past 17 years, you know, so it was kind of, uh, you know, it reminded me of, like, you know, you're seeing them interact, you know, so uh, I sat down with them, and in uh, a couple of, uh, I told them, hey, this is what I want to do, I want to do this, this narrative film, it's going to be 10 minutes, so it's like, it's going to play out in real life, a lifetime, I mean, it's like, you know, so sort of like, it never, there's never a jump cut, jump cut in time and whatnot, you know, and, um, we kind of went through different scenes, and um, and I felt uh, what what these guys were sort of about, and I wrote a script that uh, that kind of like uh, you know just I felt that I that summoned their relationship, my relationship, and everything that I wanted to do, and then uh, we locked it and we shot it. So it was basically it. Yeah. Cool. And uh, last but not least, Benjamin. So you you have a, again a fascinating film. You're the only documentary on the panel. Yeah. Um, which was, which was great to see because we just do a lot of doc stuff, so I, I enjoy great, watching that. Uh, he directed a film called Team Taliban. Where did you find this guy from? Because <laughs> that's always the, the biggest challenge of any documentary is obviously the subject, and every documentarian enters their world a different way. This is a particularly uh, interesting character, I think. Um, yeah, well, I started out uh, following a bunch of wrestlers. Uh, the, the film's about professional wrestling, and it follows specifically a Muslim wrestler who plays like a terrorist character, like a terrorist heel character is what the, the villain in professional wrestling is called. Um, and I knew I wanted to do something with, with pro wrestling, so I had a friend whose brother like got an English degree and became a pro wrestler, and so I'm like, that's kind of interesting. That's not really what I think about when I think of pro wrestling. And through that, I, I, I spent... Uh, I, I did this during the summer, and I spent three months just traveling. There's this whole indie pro wrestling circuit. So I spent uh, about three months just literally like getting in cars with different pro wrestlers and going, uh, just going across the country from match to match. And through that, following a few different uh, wrestlers, you kind of had interesting stories and met a deal. And then uh, we like talked more and more, and 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 the, and the more that that we talked, like the the more his story became very interesting, and the more I got to know him. So it just kind of went went from there. So I, I think a good documentary film, uh, you know, elicits a certain response from the audience. And I wanted to literally punch this guy in the nose the more I heard him speak. And I just, like, where were his parents in all of this? Because he keeps talking about, you know, his parents obviously had a, a perspective and a point of view on what he was doing. Uh, and then his, his wrestling partner's brother is actually fighting in Iraq right now. Uh, it, he's just, like, perpetuating the stereotype. Yeah, well, I think it's really complicated, you know. I think... Um you know, I, I, in talking with him, like, I didn't want to approach it of, of is it right, is it wrong? Like, in, in, in some way, like, whether it's right or wrong isn't, like, as important to me so much as, like, well, what does this mean? Like, well, what kind of thoughts does this prompt? What does this reveal, right? So um, I think it's really complicated. I mean, it, I think it's something that a lot of actors deal with, like anything in entertainment. Like, how do you balance something that's a passion and that you want to do with, uh, with roles that maybe you do or do not have so much control over or if you you know, you opt out, then are you just sort of like out of the game? So, um, yeah, I think it's just kind of really complicated. His family, um, I mean, I love, like his mom was sort of, uh, like his brother said in the film, that's like, well, yeah, this isn't really great, but we understand like he wants to wrestle and we get that. And actually like a lot of the, the tension with his family was not even so much like the portrayal, but it was like that he's a professional wrestler. And it was like where pro wrestling sort of is culturally, that, and that was the issue. It's like, you're a pro wrestler, like, that's the issue. That was really, I think, uh, in a lot of ways, sort of the concern from his family, yeah. Mm -hmm. This is interesting, and I guess, did you think going into it that this was gonna be a short, or did you think that it, it could have been, or still can be longer? Yeah, I mean, I went into it definitely like, uh, you know, I think as, a, as students, like a lot of times we think in, in short modes, uh, and so, 
Um, yeah, that was sort of always the plan from the get-go. I mean, within that, like, there's a, a range, like, whether it's longer and shorter, but I knew I wanted to be a short, and, um, and I think, like, the short form is really awesome. Like, I think there's something about the constraints that make it great. Like, you were saying about how, like, uh, short fiction is great. Like, I think, like, Charles uh, Baxter, someone said, like, the, the short story has more in common with, the, common with the lyric poem than, like, a novel, and I think it's true with film. So I really love how, like, the shorter form allows you to kind of do things that maybe you can't do. In a uh, in a longer film, so is is that's definitely like the the goal. From the, the I want to talk a little bit about just some of the challenges in uh, in filmmaking in general, but specifically when you don't have any money or you have very limited means, you've got limited amount of time to be able to do it. So the clock's ticking. Uh, you're you're in in I guess in one ways a shelter of being in school, and in the other ways that probably limits you somehow. And yet all of you guys are sitting here having just come off of Tribeca, which is kind of a cool thing. Uh, and Alex, you know, you mentioned adapting the story and having to, to rewrite it or, or adapt it in a way to avoid some of the pitfalls of maybe your own concepts of blowing up cars and, and, and uh, everything else. Or you were going to blow up a car. You were going to do something else. What were some of the challenges along the way once you actually started to, to roll uh, and began the production period? Yeah, I would say, you know, um, we, I chose a story that I knew I could make in the sense that there were four locations there were two characters, you know, and that um, were constraints that, that were just inherent in the story, and that allowed me to do it financially, you know, within the, the constraints of the budget I had, because uh, that was doable. Um, and I would say that the, the challenges were all of the challenges that a big film faces, which is, you know, getting everything on time and staying on budget, but it's maximized because you're, you know, one of the things that is kind of, we don't talk about a lot, but with student films, you're the producer. You know, I think all of us would probably have, you know, been doing stuff in production capacity where you're scouting locations, you're negotiating, you know, how much you're going to pay for craft service, you're going to Costco and buying, you know, bagels. Um, it's, it's all those things. And I think that those are a lot of, uh, a lot of the challenges. And then the other thing, though, that was great about being a student, you know, you talk about how it's a double-edged sword, is that we were able to get a lot of donations. And that was critical. We got donations from Panavision, we got donations from Technicolor, we got donations from Kodak, and there is no way we would have been able to make the film without those donations. So it's interesting that you did choose to shoot on film, and I know both from my film school days and, and even now, you know, not a director walks in the door, or very few directors walk in the door and say, I want to shoot HD or I want to shoot digital. There's still this desire to shoot film. Um, you'd think being in school and being limited in the ways that you were, film may, and even the distribution model, whether it was for festival or not, everyone's taking digital submissions. Why did you choose ultimately to go film? There were two main reasons. The first is that this story is a very kind of, it unfolds slowly at the beginning. It is about you know, this young boy and this hot older woman that he's lusting after. And I felt like if we shot this on video, if we shot this on HD, when it came up with film, there's this almost instant message to the audience of, hang on, I'm telling you a story. Like, there's a sense of seriousness about it when you just see the kind of grain and the look of film that allows an audience to relax into the story. Uh, and I also felt like with the subject matter, if we shot it on HD, it could look... Um, like Desperate Housewives or something, you know, uh, or something further down the scale, let's say. Um, but uh, that was the first thing. The other was that because we got all of these donations, it ended up being um, as expensive to shoot 35-millimeter film as it would have been to rent the red camera and buy the hard drives and go that route. And Anna, you shot, you said Super 16 as well, and I, I think the cinematography in there is, is really beautiful. Um, again, what was the reasoning to shoot film on, from your standpoint? Um, it's actually, uh, I had no choice. Um, <laughs> um, my Lucky school, problem to have. My school, which is fantastic, um, the School of Film and TV at the Victorian College of the Arts at the University of Melbourne, I have to mention, um, is fantastic, but we, uh, you know, um, the school runs on film post-production. It's, a, it's a, a production pathway which is set up for film. So um, we don't have the facilities to um, shoot. There's, I think actually just this last year just gone, there were two or three student production, student, students who were allowed to use the red as a test of our post-production pathway. So we're a little bit behind 
It's a fabulous school, but it needs a whole lot more money <laughs> to have the facilities for every student to go the red, the red path. Um, so, uh, and then the choice between 16, Super 16, you know, it was, well, if I'm going to be shooting on film, I may as well shoot on the biggest <laughs> neg I can, which is unfortunately not 35, but um, Super 16. And my DOP did a, f a fabulous job. He's fantastic. His name is Stefan Ducio, and I've just shot an experimental with, shot with him um, about six weeks ago, and he's just fabulous to work with and was really great uh, in terms of his sense of shooting children. And a lot of the scenes that are sh included in the film were moments where, um, and I prepped Stefan prior to us shooting, but I said, look, there'll probably be moments where the children are actually rehearsing or doing something unselfconsciously. And I said, just, can we just make sure we're always sort of looking at each other? Because there'll probably be a lot of occasions where I just tell you to roll without them realizing. And some of my favorite shots are shots in the film where the kids actually didn't know the, the camera was rolling. But imagine you're always conscious about how many feet you're rolling off. Yeah, that's one thing. But it's actually interesting because um, I've been, uh, I've re I was recently on a feature film in um, December uh, helping out in art department, which is my background actually. Before I was a film student, I worked in the industry in Melbourne for a couple of years doing art department work. But I was uh, doing a bit of work in December and there was a first time feature director um, shooting a horror film. And he was shooting on red and it was actually very interesting to watch him because I think if you're shooting digitally, you can sometimes be not as economical in terms of the amount of takes you do because you think, oh, I, I can, I, you can keep on shooting, you can keep on shooting, you can keep on shooting because you're not thinking about your stock. It then has an impact in, on all sorts of things. So the energy of the actors, the freshness of the performance, you know, if you can do 20 takes, if you know that you have to nail it because of your stock in three or four takes, then you do. <laughs> and you just keep on going, you know. Whereas if you're shooting digitally, you might do 20, 30 takes and you're not getting anything better and you're impacting the energy of performance, the energy of the set, the energy of the crew, and you go into overtime and you see all sorts of problems. You know, there's pros and cons of both formats, but it, I just recently saw the traps that you know a director can fall into when they're shooting digitally. Yeah. You know, like uh, like I guess any any project in in the entertainment industry, it ultimately begins with probably you sitting in a you know in, in a dark room somewhere thinking about you know what it is that you want to what story that you ultimately want to tell. Um, and to begin in that place and then go through the production process and then the post-production process and the finishing process, which even though lots of people are involved, it becomes a very personal you know, thing that you're going through. Now the films are out there. And I think especially uh, as, you know, for student films, they do become a bit of a calling card. You know, I'd imagine that as exciting as it is to be in this festival, there's probably other festivals that you want to be in. There's probably other people that you want to get to see it. I'd lo love to hear a little bit, maybe Lisa, you start. From your perspective, you know, here you've gone and you've, you've created this thing and you've put it out there. W what do you kind of hope can happen next? What do you hope, literally from, from this film in particular? Um, well, for me, this is uh, I, probably a different answer than everyone else because I didn't, I'm a, actually a writing concentrate um, and I obviously didn't write this. Um, for me, this would be a, a calling card to show that I can, I can manage moments and working with actors and, you know, making something uh, happen. Uh, my, my mission for the last year or so has been working on a feature. Um, and to, to write a feature? Well, I've been to, writing you've been a feature, writing. actually, with my writing partner who's here. And um, I guess it would be to get, get some attention, just, you know, someone who says, I, I, see, I see where you're going, I see that you're talented, um, what are you working on now? And to be able to show them the script and feel like they, you know, have seen my work. But my work is so, this is so different than the feature. I'm writing a feature, it's like a Christopher Guest mockumentary. And so <laughs> I don't think this is like, It's very different. <laughs> yeah, very different. <laughs> um, but uh, I have another short that is more, is closer to the feature that was on the film festival circuit for a while. And, and that's what it did for me. And what about you, Sergio? So you've, you've created this film, you've gotten it out there, people are now seeing it. What, what's kind of the hope? Um, no, that's a good question. Uh, I, um, well, you know, I mean, I don't really, I'm not, I mean, I don't think that anybody really can say that that loves festivals in particular here, you know what I mean? But uh, I honestly don't really like festivals that much, even though, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be here, you know? Um, 
I feel that uh, the, the best thing is just like, you know, just to get people to watch it, you know, and, and, and it's always nice whenever you play in front of an audience and people just like, you know, react to it and, and you hear it, you know, I mean, you hear people laughing in the right places and you're like, it's rewarding, you know, so uh, I don't know. I mean, I, to, to be honest, I, I just, I got what I, what I wanted, you know, I mean, in the sense of like, you know, the, the, the brothers uh, that did their job, they, they feel really happy about it. I mean, they, they're pursuing an acting career. It helps them a lot, you know, I mean, I hope that they, they get whatever they want from it. Uh, I'm probably not going to submit it to anybody else. I mean, if, uh, if they, um, if they request it, I mean, I'll send it, you know, I mean, but other than that, I mean, just uh, move on, you know, I mean, more, I mean, I, I just got a, got a lot of experience. Uh, I proved to myself that I could do something that uh, I didn't think that I was going to be able to do, have the patience to do, I mean, so it's, uh, I mean, that's, that's basically it, you know, I mean, and the fact that I got in Tribeca was just more like, oh, okay, well, great, you're in the right path, but uh, that's, that's about it, you know. You know, it's also interesting, uh, in the more and more stuff we produce, the, the platforms for distribution have changed considerably uh, over the last five years and just the proliferation of media, how people consume media, where they watch it. You know, on the one hand, the Hollywood box office is up, you know, as a result of, of uh, you know, maybe you could say the, the, the recession that we're in. People still want to be able to, you know, to be entertained and escape at a reasonable, almost not reasonable, but almost a reasonable price. Uh, and then on the other hand, you know, you c I was, uh, we shot this film that was actually going to be the opening of the Academy Awards this year and for a whole host of reasons it, it ended up getting cut at the last minute because of the, the show was running over which was sort of a bummer but we interviewed um, this guy Dax Flame who's this you know young kid and from his living room he lives somewhere in the Midwest he literally posts movies on a daily basis and he has over 20 to 25 million people watching his films and the guy who was directing our film for the opening is Bennett Miller, who did Capote, and, uh, and um, we've worked with him on a bunch of projects. And it was really interesting, because Dax said, you know, Bennett, more people have seen my movies than have seen your movies. <laughs> and you're like, wow, that's so true. And then you look at even someone like, uh, you know, the, the Susan Boyle on, Ameri on Britain's Got Talent. Over 100 million people have seen that clip. So I have to believe on some level, as filmmakers, as storytellers, there's a very exciting opportunity right now to be coming into this industry, to be coming into this field, because of the power of, of sort of being able to get your message out there. How conscious, if at all, are you in that? Um, I'll ask you that question. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it's a really exciting time. I mean, because there's, su there's such a need for content. And uh, it also makes it more exciting making shorts. Because people are more open to watching shorts. You know, I mean, after uh, Sundance this year, I downloaded probably like five shorts and watched them on my phone. You know, and the experience wasn't that different. Um, from from watching it on a TV at home, you know, and and so I think that it's exciting that there's you know companies like Snag Films and uh, other online distribution elements that are that are doing that. So that feels great. It also the thing that to me you know is really exciting is that we're entering an age of kind of serialized storytelling, where like with The Wire or uh, Lost or Sopranos, you know, you can actually have. Um, these shows and even you know in a short form way I'm sure we're going to see you know within the next year or two where there's eight minute long short films that all link together and tell us a complete story the way that you know a season of a television series would because people can carry it around in their pocket and watch it while they're waiting for the bus or, or you know sitting in the dentist's office that's true uh, Benjamin, you know, the same thing is true with, with, with documentaries. We just had a film that was out at Sundance this past year, and uh, we're sort of deciding what the distribution model is going to be. And on the one hand, you know, you'd like to be able to go to movie theaters to see it. You'd like to be able to have that critical acclaim. And on the other hand, even best case scenario, if we did a limited theatrical run, you know, 400, 500 screens, the number of people that would see it versus putting it on a television platform or not that people are watching documentaries feature length online, but certainly DVDs and, and iTunes and everything else. Uh, how much do you, do you think about that in, in far as what your next subject might be, the next film that you might want to make? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, like, I'm really interested in how, like, like Alex was saying, like, how does the form, like, how does the actual structure of the way, the architecture of the story, like, change the way you tell it? Because you're not going to tell the story in the same way, and it's, it's cool, it can be challenging and it can be different, but also it, like you can do different things that like frees you up to, to, to do some things like that. So um, I think as people get more comfortable with it, like then they will be more receptive to it. And I think that start to see people, you know, instead of being making, setting out with the goal of 
doing an online distribution or doing it for download for an iPhone or so, or something like that, like from the get go. So I think, you know, I, I think that people are going to start to like incorporate that into their initial plan as opposed to just doing the film and not really thinking about it and then going and thinking, well, how can we actually get get it out there? I think now people are going to actually like be like, okay, well, maybe uh, let's do it this way and let's set it out this way. Now we're going to edit it in a totally different way than if it was, was a continuous theatrical release. So, I'd love to open up uh, any questions the audience has. We, we've been hogging the mics up here, but raise, yeah, yeah, good. Hi, I, I'm curious about the question of... Um, Aesthetics and beauty. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about narrative and how you tell a story. And I know I know Ben's work best. And I mean, you you really do choose to make this look very beautiful. And you you take wrestlers who I think are beautiful, and you um, and you take a countryside and take really beautiful shots. And a couple of you others have you know I, I noticed that in the clips also a real sense that at a beautiful image. And I'm just wondering how much that is a motivation, and whether there are times when it's not a motivation at all, and you just want to tell a story. Would like to answer that? Want to go down that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a visual medium, so I think, um, yeah, I don't think there's any filmmaker who's going to be like, man, I want my film to look awful. Like, I just want it to look like garbage. Um, uh, <laughs> you can probably find some examples, yeah. But, um, but uh, yeah, I think it's really important. I think whether it's documentary or, or narrative, I mean, I think narrative traditionally, like, because you're setting it up, because you have that time where you know exactly what you're going to get and you're going to, like, make sure you get it. Um, it's key, but I think, like, for documentary, like, that was huge. And it was, um, it took me a while to figure out, like, how to actually do that when you can't plan it and do another take. Like, uh, when I first started filming, like, the wrestling was moving so fast, I found that, like, I was a few seconds behind like everything like I, I kept trying to like follow stuff and it wasn't until I became more patient and was like okay I'm gonna kind of like anticipate and relax and just sort of like wait for that moment and that's when it kind of congealed because it's just it was a very different way of going about it than than uh, like my narrative experience um, yeah I think that uh, uh, same goes with I mean, like, basically what you said I mean is um, uh, at first, you, you kind of get into the idea. Well, at first, I was in the idea of like, well, you know what I mean? Like, film is all about the story. It's all about the story. It's all about the story. And it's like, yeah, yeah I mean, it is really about the story. I mean, uh, but, uh, but at the same time, it's about how you tell the story and, and what, what's the medium that you're using. And the medium that you're using is like a moving image. So you, you need to explore that. I mean, you need to explore, you need to let that, it just sort of tells you, tell you more and then and kind of support that, uh, that metaphor that you're talking about. So, I mean, it's like, it, otherwise, it's a waste. I mean, if you're just thinking about the story itself, I mean, it's just like might as well just then then narrate or do, find something else. You know what I mean? But it's like uh, you need to really exploit uh, the medium that you're working on, and then that's that's how I feel. Yeah. And I would just say that you know, uh, strong images convey emotions very quickly. You know, and a great image can convey uh, the way a moment feels viscerally in a way that no dialogue or story structure can do. Um, so I think that it, it's absolutely crucial. I mean, I can tell you that we we storyboarded every single frame of the film, uh, in part because we were shooting on film and we didn't have the luxury of not doing that, and also in part because we never wanted to get into the situation where we didn't know what we were going for visually. And, and I think that you have to have that sense because that's how you're going to get to the emotions. Um, I mean, I, I think it's just been said but ultimately you do have to kill your, your darlings and some of my f favorite, most beautiful shots. Um, you really, when you're honest with yourself, there's maybe no place in the movie for them. And uh, you can put them in your next movie. No, I can't. <laughs> um, one of the things at my film school that um, gets talked about a lot is the marriage between form and content and finding the form that is going to express your content is, is part of the thrill of filmmaking because if you're all about content, you'd just write the short story. <clears throat> but um, the other thing that I, one of the most um, um, exciting moments for me when I've been making, I've made three student films now, um, one of my favorite moments is when I bring my script to a storyboard artist who's storyboarded my three films. His name's Ted McKinley. Um, and he's completely mad and, and wonderful. And the moment where we sit down and I, read my script out loud and he scribbles madly and not only does he scribble madly he and I get up 
and act through things and you know it's it we look crazy we go to cafes and we spend three or four hours a time doing it and the cafes we only go to the same cafe once because <laughs> i don't think we're ever allowed back drink too much coffee and get super super excited and do all these mad random things and for me that's one of the most exciting moments because i've written a story but i've the way I write is I visualise moments happening. So actually when I wrote Small Change, I woke up in the middle of the night and got up freezing in my pyjamas, grabbed a notebook and drew the film. Not very well, but I drew it. And then the next morning I got up and looked at my pictures and wrote the script from what I'd drawn. So I think that's why I'm attracted to filmmaking as opposed to writing. You know? yeah. Any uh, other questions? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, sorry. Um, how long each, uh, you know, how long, how many minutes each film? I think how long is, is each one of your films? Mine's seven and a half minutes. Mine's ten minutes. Sixteen. Uh, ten minutes, yeah. Twelve. Were, were you guys limited at all by, by the, um, you, you were, by... Mine was meant to be five. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> by, by school, the school... The project, the nature of the project was a five minute film. Right. And other guys, it just felt like that's what it should be. Yep. My name is Marguerite Cermak. I'm a screenwriter and producer, and uh, I'm really interested in all of you. And I'm just curious as to what all of you are up to next. Uh, are you staying in America, in New York? What's, what's next for you guys? Um, I'm from Melbourne, Australia. I'm about to go back. <laughs> Um, which is home. Um, I've just uh, shot a little experimental short, which I'm going to be hopefully finishing in about a week or so. Um, that's a project that I've just done uh, as a result of travelling to a whole lot of festivals. I started, which has been fantastic, but I started to get itchy feet about the fact I wasn't making anything. So I've just done a very quick sort of experimental, spontaneous project to keep up making something. Um, I've got a couple of projects that are in concept stage. So that's, you know. Um, I'm a New Yorker and I ha I'm still at Columbia. I have a, another year or two. Um, right now, uh, I'm just about to start pre-production for a film I'm shooting in Los Angeles. And I have two features. Uh, one is close to being done, which I will then try and um, send off to all the institutes and, and get some sort of, um, you know, lab help and continue to work on it um, and continue to develop my second feature. Uh, I live in Los Angeles, um, and Monday I'll go back to my day job. Uh, I officially finish at UCLA in June, and I have two feature scripts that I've written and are good to go, and have begun meeting with producers about them to get them made. Um, before uh, before finishing school, I was um, in a, I'm a musician, so I played I played in a band uh, for a while, and decided to go back to uh, to school and finish film. So. Um, I'm going back to music uh, uh, right now, and, and which is something that, that I loved. And uh, um, I'm, I'm contemplating. I mean, I just got into uh, in grad school uh, for film in LA, and contemplating about taking that uh, that uh, that um, you know that step. But uh, in the meantime, it's um, just keep on producing, keep on uh, keep on doing uh, keep on doing work, you know, music and, and film. So that's uh, that's where it's at. Um, for me, I'm graduating in May as well. Um, and uh, in terms of film stuff, have uh, a dramatic web series, actually, which we're talking about, where it's like nine very short uh, episodes that the first one's going up online on Monday, so it's going to be doing that and then, you know, trying to keep on trucking. Yeah, what's uh, the URL? It's called, uh, it's drycreekseries.com, so you should check it out. DryCreekSeries.com. D R Y C R E dot com. Cool. Any other uh, questions? Yeah. I think the uh, microphone's coming your way. Thanks. Uh, I was wondering, are there any? How did you go about uh, getting your film into Tribeca? Are there any prerequisites in terms of the length of the films that you have? Seems like they have different lengths of films. And another question, quick question for him. Um, I have a script for a feature film I read finished. I'm writing to agents, uh, and he says he's talking to uh, producers. Where do you go about getting 
in touch with producers that might help you get your film made. To, uh, well, one hard question, probably one easier question. So the easy one is all of you guys submitted as part of the short film uh, filmmakers series, right? This is an actual category in the festival for yeah. that. Although, although I actually met Sharon Badal, the one of the shorts programmers at another um, festival, the Palm Springs Short Fest in August last year. And I literally shoved a copy of my film in her face in a throng of other filmmakers. And I didn't think she'd remember me, but she did. And I also actually went through the normal process of submitting but um she said she told me the other day she'd kept this film that i thrust in her face you know back in august last year which is great you know but, oh. as far as meeting producers you know this is still something i'm trying to figure out uh you know absolutely and um you know right now i've been lucky that that people have contacted me um partly because i have a film at Tribeca and um, just through friends of friends of friends who um, kind of like the stuff I'm doing and, and want to encourage me to, to keep going but I mean that's always the question is how do you get your work in front of the people who can make it happen and I think it, it's, it's a hard thing to if figure out if anybody knows the answer yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just tell it to us please yeah, I think that's, that's probably one of the most uh, challenging aspects of the business but at the same time, like we were talking about before, there's so many more outlets now for, for distribution and, and for work to get out there. Uh, you know, having your work at a festival like this is obviously a great way to be seen. There's projects that, you know, directors who are very accomplished who we work with who have spent the last 11 years trying to get their, their next feature project made and then other projects that have, you know, walked in the door through a friend or a friend of a friend and next thing you know, that's, that's the project that we're, we're, we're able to get set up. Um, the perseverance is the, uh, is the name of the game. Any other questions? Maybe, maybe one or two more, if anybody has anything else. Uh, about the formats. I know that two of you shot on film. Uh, the rest of you shot on what, uh, HD or can you tell us what was the format on the rest of your movies? Like, um, actually shot on just like standard def uh, SD. Uh, and then, Which camera? Uh, this is uh, Canon XL2. And um, that's what I shot. And so that's sort of uh, that's sort of like the an the antique, <laughs> like a lot of this stuff. Um. Yeah, I shot on a, a EX1, uh, no no special adapter or nothing, just a, a HD EX1 Sony. So um, I shot on HD in the the Panasonic HVX with 35 millimeter lenses, and um, I was very excited to be shooting digitally because uh, my film cost uh, about $3,500 to make and I felt like I could make the mistakes that I want as a, as a new filmmaker. I, I didn't want to make my, mis my mistakes on, on film and have something cost me $30,000 because I see this film and I just, I've learned so much from doing it and now I feel like I'm ready to move on to, uh, to film. But I liked, I liked HD as well. And uh, what uh, editing platform did you guys use? Final Cut. Final Cut? I used Avid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I used Final Cut. Final Cut? Mm -hmm. Final Cut? Yeah. It's not an Apple plug. It was just a question. <laughs> yeah, you're fine. It's just a great <laughs> format. That's all. <laughs> Thumbs up. Any other uh, questions? All right. Well, I just want to thank you guys for, uh, for taking the time out to, uh, to come here. It was great to get to see parts of your film. Thank you for, uh, for coming out as well. And thanks to Apple for having us.